Previously on Flying the Line, we learned about the failed suspension of service effort in 1981, plus the continued rule of J.J. O'Donnell through the 1978 elections. In this episode, we will examine ALPA's administrative change from regional vice presidents to executive vice presidents. That changed the political landscape, including those pilots plotting O'Donnell's fall. This podcast is brought to you by the Airline Pilots Association. ALPA supports its pilots through a variety of resources, including the official ALPA app. Download the app for the latest news, easy access to KCM locations, jump seat information, news from your LEC and MEC, and more. It's even got the orange card and an e-version of your member ID. Visit alpa.org apps to download or search ALPA app in your smartphone's app store. Welcome to the Flying the Line podcast, a look into the past of the Airline Pilots Association, abridged from the book Flying the Line, Volume 2, by George E. Hopkins. Chapter 4, Part 1, Dodging Bullets. Chuck Huttinger nursed a long-standing political grudge against J.J. O'Donnell. He had flown for a variety of small carriers during his 26 years as an airline pilot. He ended up with TACA, the Central American airline based in El Salvador, where he organized his fellow pilots for ALPA. Huttinger led the fierce opposition of TACA's management, which had a well-deserved reputation for stinginess. In 1971, as TACA's MEC chair, Huttinger became something of a legend when he masterminded the kidnapping of several TACA airplanes until his pilots got an industry-standard contract. As he wryly stated at the time, when they can't find their airplanes, they've pretty much got to talk to you. Huttinger's success as TACA's organizer and longtime MEC chairman made him a natural leader of the Group 5 airlines. Historically, pilots from small airlines have made few ripples in ALPA's political pond. Huttinger, well aware that he stood no chance of challenging J.J. O'Donnell himself, was dedicated to finding a candidate who could. From Huttinger's vantage point, he was ideally situated to act as a political catalyst. Had he been a pilot from one of the larger airlines, his motives might have been suspect. But as a leader of the Group 5 airlines, Huttinger bore no stain of personal ambition. In Alpha politics, pilots from small airlines have historically had to content themselves with fringe roles. In 1974, the ALPA Board of Directors changed the vice presidencies from regional to the new executive status. In a technical sense, the new executive vice president role, or EVP, was designed to accomplish two things. First, the BOD wanted to curb the power of the regional vice presidents. And second, the BOD wanted to guarantee that pilots like Chuck Huttinger would have more voice in national affairs. But primarily, the BOD adopted the 1974 changes to put an end to the independent power bases some regional VPs had built. From their regional bases, these leaders often challenged the purely administrative prerogatives of BOD-elected national officers. Before 1974, the regional VPs won office independently of the BOD. 
many of them viewed their mandate to advise and monitor the president as a power derived directly from their regional membership, thus, theoretically, collectively co-equal to the president's power. Operating from this perspective, several regional VPs exercised more power and influence than some BOD-elected officers. Before 1974, the popular vote of all pilots living within a designated region directly elected each regional VP. Candidates campaigned primarily by direct mail to the membership. That often meant money, rather than merit, dictated victory. This system also meant that the individual with a flair for dramatic rhetoric had an unfair advantage. After 1974, the BOD elected the new EVPs, technically a subcommittee of the BOD. This was a far more rational system. It eliminated confusion about the vice presidency's mandate, role, and function. The new office of the executive vice president effectively laid to rest another troubling aspect of the old system. Although these MEC chairmen attended executive board meetings every six months, many thoughtful observers believed that their exclusion from the executive committee was potentially dangerous. Under the new EVP system, all Alpa Airlines would be divided into five groups, and each would be represented on the executive committee. Ideally, each group should be roughly co-equal in total voting strength. That presupposed an aviation industry stability, which deregulation would destroy. Initially, the elephants segmented in the top groups would far outweigh the small groups, such as Huttinger's Taka, in total voting strength. But the latter at least had hope that someday the elephants and the ants would find some balance in Alpa's politics. Owing to the discrepancy in pay scales, the idea of real equality between large and small pilot groups was hopelessly visionary. Elephants contributed to Alpa's treasury in dues, the ants took it out. So when crucial matters arose, Alpa's presidents necessarily paid heed to the elephants and ignored the ants, formal structures like the executive committee notwithstanding. Robert Holden of Eastern, who was elected Group 1 EVP at the 1974 BOD, was against the EVP concept. I didn't see the necessity for it, he said. J.J. wanted it for political purposes. I went along with it because I liked the guy. He was a little too political for me, always responding to the power groups with the most votes. But that was his job. Indeed, O'Donnell's mastery of Alpa's politics through 1978 owed much to his skill at counting votes. In practice, O'Donnell always kept the elephants happy. Then, if he could, he would tend to the needs of the ants. Or at least that's the way Chuck Huttinger saw it. In early 1982, Huttinger wrote to a select group of Alpa activists he knew were hostile to O'Donnell. He suggested that they begin coordinating their strategy to unseat O'Donnell for the 1982 BOD meeting. He reminded them of their failure to come up with a suitable challenger in 1978 and suggested that they meet in New Orleans. Huttinger included in his anti-O'Donnell circular a lengthy bill of indictment. He detailed what he saw as failures of the O'Donnell years, such as the 1972 skyjacking SOS, 
the chaotic and disgraceful handling of the 1980 BOD meeting in Los Angeles, and the abortive move to his recall in 1981. Huttinger finished by accusing O'Donnell of violating the most sacred of Alpa's covenants. Over the past 12 years, he wrote, the most basic concept of Alpa, strength through unity, has been ignored. The New Orleans meeting drew a gallery of Alpa political activists. Skip Eglett of Northwest, who had unsuccessfully tried to recruit United's Jerry Pride to run against O'Donnell in 1978, was invited but did not attend. But Hank Duffy, the Delta MEC chairman, was there. So was Nick Gentile, the former Delta MEC chairman, who many regarded as the driving force behind Duffy's recently announced presidential candidacy. Huttinger came away from New Orleans discouraged. He had hoped that they would unite behind a presidential candidate, but neither Hank Duffy nor John Gratz, the two announced candidates, would defer to the other. Although various ideas and strategies for cooperation at the BOD meeting surfaced, the only concrete development was that Tom Beatum agreed to forego his presidential ambitions. Beatum, the widely respected Northwest MEC chairman, thus secured the support of the New Orleans group for his candidacy for first vice president. Huttinger won no promises from anybody else beyond those sponsoring debates for all announced presidential candidates. O'Donnell's political enemies were gathering for the kill in 1982, but they were by no means assured of toppling him. Since the last BOD meeting in 1980, things had gotten very dicey for him politically. The aborted 1981 SOS over crew compliment, the PATCO strike, the onslaught of deregulation, the terrible economic downturn in late 1981, Braniff's bankruptcy, and widespread pilot furloughs, all combined to erode his political base. But he was a resilient and resourceful practitioner of the political arts, and he had turned defeat into victory before. His handling of the crew compliment issue, which had a long and troubled history, provides an object lesson in the perils of taking J.J. O'Donnell lightly. Next time on Flying the Line, we explore the history of the crew compliment issue. Thank you for listening. This has been Chapter 4, Part 1 of Flying the Line 2 by George E. Hopkins. Copyright 2000. We hope you have enjoyed this podcast. To listen and subscribe to more in this series, please check us out online at alpa.org or on iTunes, Stitcher, or other podcast platforms. Until next time, this is the Flying the Line podcast, a look into the past of the Airline Pilots Association International. Production copyright ALPA 2022, all rights reserved.